NCAA, listen to the strength coaches. I understand there's a pecking order and you have to go NCAA to administrators, to whomever, to whomever, but it's, it's like playing telephone. I've never heard of a great game of telephone, right? So it's go to the source, right? And just remember too, that at the end of the day, your job as a nonprofit institution is to support these governing bodies and institutions to be able to do what they need to do, not just to have a logo on their chest to support your organization that is a nonprofit. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Art of Coaching podcast, a show dedicated to discussing the messy realities of leadership, behavior change, and all things communication. The conversation today is made possible by our sponsors, Saga Fitness, Momentus, and VersaClimber. Learn more about what these organizations can do for you by visiting artofcoaching.com forward slash partner. Hey everyone, I'm Brett Bartholomew, and on the show today, we discuss a situation that gives an entirely new meaning to the term March Madness. And the thing is, as shocking as what we will be talking about seems, it's nothing new when it comes to inequity displayed within women's athletic programs or institutions. When recent photos emerged and subsequently went viral due to the serious disparities between men's and women's weight rooms at the NCAA tournament last week, the sporting world was rocked by a long overdue conversation. You see, when it comes to player health, safety, and performance, why should there be a difference between access to resources for women? Certainly, we wouldn't provide female student-athletes at these institutions with fewer resources to get an appropriate education, right? So why the discrepancy when it comes to one of the largest sporting events of the year when these elite athletes have already had to overcome tremendous setbacks with respect to their preparation during COVID? Now, this is just one piece of a much larger puzzle, however, and there is nobody better to discuss it than my friend Meg Young. Meg's entire life purpose is about facilitating meaningful connection, and she's used the arena of strength and conditioning as a vessel to carry out that mission, having worked in the collegiate and professional setting over the course of 14 years. She's also a survivor. Diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia in 2015, Meg's no stranger to overcoming various forms of struggle, and her relentlessness for education, performance, and equality is bookmarked by dual master's degrees, one in exercise physiology, another in information systems and data science, as well as a PhDC in adult education. Put simply, Meg has an astute understanding of both the complex and the complicated both of which serve as home and hearth of the matter we're going to discuss today. And now it's time to get into it. Here is Meg Young. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. It has been quite a uh, a week, hasn't it? Interesting week in the world, you know? Yeah, I think the last time we saw each other, we were having sushi at a quiet hole in the wall uh, in down. What where it was in downtown Atlanta, was it not? It was downtown Atlanta pre-COVID when we could wear cute outfits. <laughs> downtown Atlanta pre-COVID for sure, we could hang around. And uh, I never thought that the next time we would be discussing things, at least semi in person, would be uh, around this. So let's talk about this a little bit because we have listeners from a wide range of professions. Give some context as to what happened this week. And uh, then we'll dive into the core of the discussion and get to the meat of it. Sure. 
So I think where things really started was you have March Madness happening now. And when we say March Madness, most people just think of the men's basketball tournament. So what this is, is a tournament, a championship tournament put on by the NCAA. So the NCAA has been around for around 114 years. They'll celebrate their 115th year actually in March 31st. So at the end of the month in 10 days, Um, the women's tournament, which isn't considered March Madness also is at the same time. So with that being said, um, there is two controlled environments. One is in Indy for all the men's teams. And then the women's teams are within Texas. So I'm in San Antonio. Um, but what happened was when strength coaches went to practice, there was a setup for athletes to be able to lift and train. And the men's basketball kind of blew up over social media. And, you know, there, there's definitely a fascination into fitness. And I think that we could speak around COVID for that. Like everybody's getting their fit gain on uh, within the society and with the athletes. So I love that. Um, which is great. All these amazing pictures. There was a proper weight room set up for athletes to access and for their um, performance coaches to utilize. Right. Then within the women's game, when they went to have the similar type impact due to how we train athletes year round and not just in postseason, but year round, the resources that were available were less than ideal to put it nicely, um, to put it bluntly unacceptable. Um, and so that, there was a post by Ali Kirshner, who's a performance coach at Stanford women's basketball. And it on top had the men's basketball situation within their environment, what was available. And then the dumbbell tree and the yoga mats that were available for the women. And that kind of blew up to show some of the inequity between the two different controlled environments, the tournament being held by the same organization. So from there, um, social media kind of took off and does what social media does and the internet's undefeated, right? And you had a wide variety of coaches, performance coaches reaching out and now sharing this message, right? And I feel like this is the first time that you've seen performance coaches not in the limelight for yelling, screaming, or not in the limelight for doing a good job, but in the limelight for showing, hey, we are one of the most adaptable professions in the world and we get to work with amazing humans, but even we have our threshold marker and you've reached it. And it's male coaches, female coaches that work with all types of athletes. I'm not even going to put gender name on athletes because it's just athletes. It shouldn't matter. Um, And from that, it kind of just sparked off a conversation. Um, The NCAA came out and said, um, not I'm sorry, not, um, hey, we should have started off better. But they said, you know, we planned on providing more later in the tournament. So for context from our profession, there's not many performance coaches, if any, that in a postseason are going to train um, leading up to a tournament, train throughout the year, resources available at their amazing institutions to come have less than hotel availability to train their athletes and properly prepare them and continue them on the periodization schemes they've been on and stop for two weeks and then pick training back up. So from a physiological response and training adaptations, that is what lit a fire under a lot of strength coaches because they get it. So even if you don't get it, you do understand when you stop working out for two weeks and then go work out again, you get pretty sore. So let's just leave it at that. Um, And then the response was overnight, um, there was a weight room set up. And in this weight room, like there was equipment provided. um, And a lot of it was an additional cardio equipment, right? And so it's like, okay, there again is a misstep in understanding of what the return on investment is in performance training. 
if we're playing a basketball sport, I don't know if you guys know, but they run in basketball, right? We have a lot of things that happen on court and timing is really important. So the last thing that most performance coaches are looking for is more cardio equipment. Yeah. And I think you did a wonderful job laying out the context. And I just want to, I want to summarize this to make sure that again, any of our non-sport related listeners get this and correct any part of it, right? It's an exciting time of year. You, you, you put this together beautifully, right? NCAA tournament, men's basketball, women's basketball, just, you know, it's spring. People are ready for COVID to end and they're ready. They, they love the intensity of this. Sport is something people should be able to rally around, right? And then you have this profession that we represent and many others that are involved in this that many people don't understand. And like you said, wonderfully, most people think that availability bias of all I see is what there is. Okay, there's basketball, uh, they're running, they gotta be in shape. Well, you know, many aspects of their sport do that. Actually what we need, and you alluded to it wonderfully, is these are strength power athletes in a lot of ways. And we always try to encourage people to understand that guys, strength coaches are not just weight room people, right? Muscular strength is the ability to exert force on any object. It's, it's just physics. And we need to exert that force quickly. And so what Megan is talking about here is imagine when you have two groups of the most high, like elite athletes in the world. And like she said, it's not even like we, we look at men and women or whatever. These people need to perform at the highest level. And yet there's one fully outfitted weight room provided by the NCAA. And another one looks like the worst of the worst hotel gym you've ever, ever been to. The type that even if you're not somebody who is active, if you decided to get a wild hair up your butt and go into, into that hotel, you're like, huh, a bunch of rusted dumbbells and a bike that barely spins. Um, and, and that's just not adequate. And we're not a needy group, right? Like you, you said, did I summarize that pretty good and, and give good context for the average listener? Yeah. And the way I would put it out there though, is there's always been a difference in expectation when you're a performance coach in women's sports, just because of the reality yep. of women's sports and having worked in women's basketball, women's soccer, also football, also baseball, like that is due to some differences in funds and things like that. So what you saw though, is if I'm a performance coach going to the final four with my men's team. Maybe my expectation is a five, six on training availability equipment. What I got was a nine. Mm. If I'm a performance coach on the women's side, outside looking in, my expectation was probably a two. And what I got was a negative 12. Right. And I, and I think one thing that I saw in the comments that threw me off, and I am going to go with the comments. I'm not going to use names. It's pointless. And it wouldn't matter anyway, because it's usually like fluffy cat 820 or like <laughs> uh, bike racer Hot. 860. Right. But this person said, not trying to be sexist, but do women really lift heavy weights before a championship? And there's so many things that are wrong with that statement. One, there's the assumption that women don't want to be strong, don't need to be strong. Two, you know, and some people don't know what they don't know. I don't know if this guy, you know, like there's a lot of miseducation around performance in general, let alone performance in women. Like, where do you even go with a comment like that? And, and what do you think? Because I know you, like you have a very scientific way of thinking. You're very empathetic. You're not somebody that's just going to react. When you see that, where do you even start to help people better understand the problem with a statement like that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to a bigger picture of not understanding our profession, um, right? And when you don't understand what do performance coaches or strength coaches do besides a hold a football coach back on a game day, right? right? Like that's what you see us in the media for getting slapped over the head with a, a board or something like that. Um, that's, that's not what I do, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that's not what you do. No, no. And, so, 
Oh, go ahead. Um, with the with a question like that, I, I first come down to let's educate them on what it takes to be a performance coach at the collegiate level, right? So most preferred qualifications for working within a collegiate setting, and let's say at a power five school within women's basketball, let's just set that as the expectation. You need a bachelor's degree. You probably need a master's degree in some sort of exercise physiology, biomechanics background, kinesiology, something like that. You also need to hold um, a certification, if not two, and I'm not even going to speak those organizations. Um, and you need to have AD CPR first aid. Okay, that's to get the interview. Then you also need years of experience within those sports or within sport at the college level. So now, giving you some context of, hey, these people have six to eight years of college education, right? And they're passionate about what they do. Working within women's basketball, especially now, um, you train year round. You know, you're looking at 11 and a half months out of the year, these, these coaches are working and they're not doing it for the return on investment from their education and the return on investment from their time. Uh, if you look at the time value money, it's a terrible business model to be a performance coach. Um, being a performance coach in college setting, let's say the, the average is somewhere between 35 and $50,000 working in a power five women's conference. And then you could easily get as high as, oh, 100,000. Uh, but now that's your ceiling for what you can make. So I don't know many people within the business world that like hearing a hundred thousand dollars ceiling as what their life investment is going to have to live off of. So uh, that that doesn't make a lot of sense. So these people aren't doing it for the money, right? They're doing it either because they want to connect with these players and they want to help develop young people. Um, they love the profession of strength and conditioning performance, right? Or they also love the sport of basketball, and that's why they're within that specific arena working within performance. So just to set some context, that's who these people are, right? Um, now for the athletes, you've seen bigger and better has definitely been the thing over the past 15 years within strength and conditioning, right? Um, from a recruiting advantage standpoint from all of this. And then, you know, when I first got in this, there wasn't a lot of women's basketball strength coaches, right? It was, there was a men's basketball strength coach and maybe a GA that also took the women or the men's there was one performance coach that did them both. And so you've seen the field continue to grow because what happens is at these organizations, there are amazing sport coaches. There are amazing people pushing at the ground level to advance the women's game. That's not the NCA. So that's my point. You have amazing people at institutions pushing the envelope forward and driving it forward. And you also saw that same response of um, these coaches that are stepping out and speaking. So I'm, if you haven't seen what I'm talking about, you can look at Coach Daly, who's the head coach at the University of South Carolina for women's basketball, who came out with a statement and said she couldn't be silent. And I think that that's a really important statement to have because me as um, a former SEC women's basketball strength coach, now working in pro sports, you hear family preached all the time, and that's part of the recruiting process, right? And you want your a uh, child to get developed at these institutions and go on and prepare for life or prepare for the pros. Great. So if I'm under the tutelage of one of these coaches and they're not actually standing up for the things I need as a player, especially within a championship season, is that really the person I want to be behind? Yeah. I, and to go back to something you said, I'm going to try to address pieces of all that so we can keep that 
conversation rolling. It's it, you are you're spot on. It's I remember there's a 2018 survey that showed despite 52% of strength coaches having a master's degree, many of them are still averaging anywhere from low 30s to maybe mid 70s and the ones in the mid 70s plus or anybody in that higher bracket is typically in pro sports with 10 plus years, right? And then you you compare that to what Fidelity says somebody should have the recommended savings by age 30 is one times your salary, right? Like that, it, now it's not a stretch to say that by 30, there are still many coaches who are maybe just now even getting paid a full-time salary. And mind you, these athletes aren't, aren't paid and what have you, and we're not gonna get into that debate, but like women in our failed field make even less, right? That gender gap to put it to terms is nearly five times what it is in other fields and not a lot being done about it. To touch on your point about, you know, our coaches standing up, what did you see when this hit the news, right? When this thing just exploded, what did you see, if any, the disparity was between schools that would speak out about it and be like, no, this is not okay. And let's look at the sport coach now because they typically do get more weight. They have this seat at the table that performance coaches typically don't get. Did you see much disparity between schools, and you don't need to name them, that spoke out and that didn't, or did they all unify? Talk talk a little bit about that if you can. Yeah. I mean, I think we can speak out even as late as today. And so part of this, remember, is these players are in a championship and we are servant coaches. Like we want to put athletes in position to win games. So you also have strength coaches and performance coaches that don't want to be a distraction. And um, once the initial statement was made by Allie and it kind of blew up over social media and people took to, took to heart what the message was and didn't get off track about what we're talking about. Um, you saw that there was a quote unquote response, not an apology, but a response. And then more came out though around the differences between the controlled environments. And I think it's important to speak on this. And I think Gino Oriema was the coach that came out and said, yes, the men are getting daily PCR testing for COVID and the women are getting antigen tests. So for your listeners, now we're talking health and safety differences between two different championships run by the same organization. Can you touch on that? Yeah, the I mean the NCAA, right? Like and right. and I think there's not and and I'm not this no listener should take this offensively. I don't think there's a lot of understanding that the NCAA by definition it's a nonprofit, am I correct? Yes, it is a nonprofit. So when people try to make spacious arguments about well, men's sports make more money than female sports and and they start making about viewership and entertainment. And this is the entertainment industry, but then where's that money really go to? Yeah. I think part of it to remember too, is this is amateur sports, right? So in amateur sports, these organizations that are gaining the most from it is not the actual player, right? It's the, it's the organizational governing body, which is the NCAA and how they decide to spend their money is only controlled by them. There's not a governing body above them. So what they decide to do and how they decide to spend it is literally controlled by the same people that are in taking the money. There's no system of checks and balances. So we hear, like, we, we have this organization that clearly gets, they get to choose how they spend their money and they're making these decisions. So who made the decision when they're, when they're sitting here like, hey, here's what we need for uh, the men's tournament. Here's what we need for, for the women's tournament. Who sits on that? Is there, I mean, is there even like a, a round table where they have somebody for performance from the sporting side, from health and medical? Who sits at this round table? Is performance even represented? 
So performance is never directly represented, right? You have administrators that make up committees along with members of the NCAA. So, and there's two separate committees, one for men's basketball, one for women's basketball, just as there is for every championship sport for women's soccer. There's a committee for all these things, right? And those are the ones that work to not only, hey, who's getting in the tournament, all those different things. And, you know, you can leave it up to your ESPN guys over those things. But the the other side of it is, how are we actually going to make this function? And one of the things I remember them saying is, you know, we did the best we could with 60 days notice. And... Like, 60 days notice man. is the biggest thing. This is the NCAA tournament, 60 days notice. Well, and my whole thing is you didn't even have a tournament last year. So it's not like you're like, all right, guys, we need a break. You know, that was long. You've been in COVID in a pandemic for over a year now at this point. And I think that um, you've had longer than 60 days to prepare. Yeah, you're you're having to weed down like where are these teams coming from? but you've had over a year to prepare. What do you want this to look like? And let's say, okay, you had three months, you had 90 days. I I know plenty of um, companies. I know plenty of coaches that would have offered in support because that's what our profession does. They step up and they would have had solutions, right? So I think the bigger problem is the question wasn't even asked, right? It was assumed. And that's what happens a lot within our profession is there's other people speaking for us And whether they have the best intention or not, the mark is missed because we're not the ones with the seat at the table fighting for what and advocating for what our athletes actually need. Yeah. And what I hope doesn't get lost upon this is there's so many weird, there's so many odd debates going around in sport right now in general, right? Like we're seeing what happens in, in college football, where now players can, can players make money off their likeness and this and the transfer portal and what have you. This isn't about that. This is literally like um, I, you know, I, I worked with a lot of female athletes in, in the UFC, right? I think of Juliana Pena. It would be like not giving her access to a, a cup man in her corner or anything that she knew, right? Like, hey, you can't have water or a stool to sit on between rounds, but but dudes can, right? And I think that's where it gets tricky is people get emotional and they react and they're like, oh, so are you saying men and women? Or are you saying, it's like, no, no, no. We're saying that there's a basic thing that athletes need to perform at the highest level. And as much as the general audience uh, or world may not know it, strength and power qualities and the capability to generate high rates of force is a thing that allows people to compete at the highest level and also just be safe from an injury resistance or injury. uh, uh, We can't say prevention, right? But decreasing the likelihood of injury. And it's like saying these high-performing athletes over here despite what we know in the literature and God knows how much there's literature on, on strength and conditioning and it's necessity in sport. No, no, we're going to act like that doesn't even exist. And these, and that's what drives me nuts when I hear that medical professionals are on this. Now I, it's also not surprising, right? I had, I had shoulder surgery back in November and still right now, my surgeon has told me, even though what, what are we in? We're, we're recording this in March that you should not lift anything above five pounds with that shoulder, you know? And then of course we know from a physical therapy standpoint, well, no, no, you can do this and you're fine and what have you. How is it that medical professionals who do have a seat on this table still don't recognize and understand the importance of this, let alone allow there to be such a disparity on what men have access to and women have access to. And it's just basic science that they should be up on bleeding edge stuff. That's, you know, got, got over 50 years of research behind it. Yeah. I mean, I think that one, a lot of times performance coaches chalk it up to like their sport coaches or their environment being old school, right? Like, oh, I'm, you know, my coach is old school, thinks that lifting is going to throw off their shot, right? Like, 
And so the, the education of like sport coaches is something that um, we have to do in a very careful dance, right? Because we don't want to overstep and we also need coaches that are receptive to being educated, right? And I've been fortunate enough to work with coaches that have been like that. Um, and, and that's where I see a lot of coaches struggle too. And <laughs> then you can't speak to your sport coach or you can't speak to administrators. So where are you left to turn to? So we turn to each other to have support and kind of leverage how do we do best with what we can do. And that resiliency is unbelievable in our profession. To speak to kind of the medical side, one, I think the medical side, their probably priority target this year was, can we make a safe environment, right? So, um, and then how the chief medical officer for the NCA um, determines that is very different than having people on from a performance uh, standpoint to say, how do we make a safe performance environment, right? Like having a controlled environment to limit COVID exposure and handle a pandemic is a challenge in and of itself. So I get that that was the top priority probably in the year. Can we have a tournament? Because last year we couldn't. Check. That doesn't mean that all these other things aren't important anymore. So if a women's basketball coach walked out on the court or men's basketball coach walked out on the court and they were like, hey, um, you know, it's been really hard to get this thing off the ground. So we're only going to give you half a basketball court and two basketballs today to prepare. That, that's probably a similar analogy to how some of these coaches felt. And, and more importantly, the players. And here's the difference, right? In professional sports, um, these professional athletes use their platforms and advocate and speak out. And they have um, players associations and make collective bargaining agreements, right? And in college, we leave it up to this same organization to come up with how do we ensure health, safety, and welfare of student-athletes. It's really hard, and I think this is why you see some of that emotion coming out of coaches when that same organization is the one failing the student athlete. That's what that's what's hard. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, you know, in, in one way, and you may disagree with this. Feel free, but I, I, I think knowing you, I think we can both maybe agree that one way we don't get these sport coaches and and other bodies to buy in into the importance of what we do or the matter is by just giving them more research. Plenty of people have tried that. I know I've tried that and failing, right? Like, but we, this is a somewhat a marketing issue, right? Performance professionals have, have always faced this issue where they want to stay in the background because they think if they, if they kind of promote an idea or even self-promote or anything like that, that they're no longer servant-based leaders. But the reality is you have to promote what you do or an idea because there's an element of micro-political literacy that it takes to get a seat at the table or crumbs from the table or anything, you, you're going to have to know how to play. And I don't want to say play dirty and have people misconstrue that, but, but coaches, strength coaches and performance coaches do need to get better at this because being informed is not enough. Like when, when the other parties, they have so many other things going on. So what do you think about the realities of, you know, where, where do we have to upskill ourselves to be able to navigate the political realities of this so things can be heard and these issues don't get repeated again and again and again. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, one thing I'd like to say too, right, is this is not something new for women, especially, um, this has been centuries of fighting for equality. So now this is just happening through the lens of sport. And I think that, uh, that's why these coaches and athletes are getting behind it because it's within their specific arena, Yeah, regardless of their gender. Um, and I think one thing that you've seen performance coaches do over the past 
let's call it two decades, is increased presence within individual sports, right? You have more performance coaches that don't work within a college weight room and have seven teams, right? They're able to, we've, we've increased our value enough to where now, hey, it's not just about being in the weight room, but we can have a presence within practice, within training. And then coaches all of a sudden kind of caught on and was like, wow, this is important. They do more than just warm us up on game day and work in a weight room. And then on the flip side of that, you have sports science come into play. And for listeners, right, like sports science isn't just the research that happens within laboratories. It's how do we apply um, performance and technologies into helping not just within the weight room, but the performance on the field. And so you have people whose roles, like myself, is tactical periodization of what's happening at practice, right? Like that has become periodization is what strength coaches learn from day one. And it's like, hey, what kind of volume and what type of intensity are we creating and what training adaptation and response are we going to get from that? The same happens on the court, right? And we're not going to get into discussion of that, but I just want to bring to the forefront that it is not just a set and rep scheme, but those sets and reps are still important. I think that a lot of people are forgetting that, right? Both aspects are equally important. And driving that forward has increased our presence on the field to where now you have football coaches saying, the strength coach is the most important member of my staff. And in college, they're like, the strength coach spends more time with my athletes due to NCAA rules than anyone else. So that has also increased the value. And with that increased value, you've seen the increased return on investment within performance, within football, within basketball, and within some of these other sports. So I just wanted to speak from that side to where you've seen an increased presence. You've seen an increase. We understand you're valuable, but where's the reciprocal turn for, hey, what's the return on my value to me individually, not just within what, what access we're providing? Yeah, I think those are critical points. And, and you think about it this way, obviously so much perception comes into this. You, you talk about periodization. And again, for the listeners, we're talking about a planning process. We're talking about the same thing that's done in sports performance in many respects that's done when a medical practitioner has to think about what prescription is appropriate, you know, to, to help somebody with a certain illness or to remedy something. What, what, what Megan's talking about here is like, it's a combination of planning, discernment, personalization, and basic resourcefulness. And And one thing I'd say too, is for those business listeners out there, we're talking about system design, right? At the end of the day, our product is performance of an athlete. But how we go about it is we have all these complex systems that interplay and uh, overlay on top of each other and create different stresses and different adaptations. Our job is to balance and understand those, educate on those, and then also work within that space to get the correct ones at the correct times. That's periodization. And I love that you use that example and especially the the, the words work within that space, right? This is not something where anybody is saying you these athletes needed, needed anything, uh, next level. Like we're a startup, right? You could, you're as a, as a performance coach, we're used to being scrappy, right? It's a blue collar mentality that we're like, listen, we know how to do things with body weight and a piece of string that most people have no concept of. And so you, you have, you're thinking with a startup mindset of saying, it's not like we asked for much. Nobody asked for a pneumatic resistance or anything to do this or that. It's like, yo, can we at least just have a conversation here? You have a startup mentality. Do you think that's an appropriate way of like being able to, uh, to, to define the level of resourcefulness many of us are willing to have around this? Or do you feel like there was something super nuanced that, that these people needed or were demanding? You know, I think that it, it again falls down to 
unfortunately, we've had to be that way. We're conditioned to be that way yeah. instead of supported to be opposite. So, um, yeah, I mean, you saw the response. You saw the athlete TikToks, and I don't, I don't know how to do TikTok, so please don't me ask neither. me to expand upon that. But the athlete and coaches, strength coaches, posting in response so that it wasn't just this negative image that went out, but hey, I'm going to throw on some BFR cuffs. It doesn't matter what that is if you're a listener. And I'm going to get a different training response in. I'm able to do things. But one thing I saw posted by a coach, is, uh, not a performance coach, a basketball coach, was work is work. That's wrong. That's way wrong. Absolutely. So you you should know as a listener, the, the reason we require all these different tools is because work, all work is not equal, right? All stress is not equal. All adaptations are not equal. If that was the case, then we wouldn't have to have multiple degrees, years of experience and know how to use different technologies. We could just work you out over Zoom like people did in a pandemic. And why do you think it is within that, that these arguments get taken so many places versus arguments about equipment or engagement or viewership versus just standards of player care? Going back to what you said about the COVID testing and what have you, this is just standards of player. I mean, even somebody, if we're not talking athletes, it is well known that the average person should at least strength train twice a week, right? We know that as we get older, we have sarcopenia and muscle wasting. We're, we're talking about, this is a, like, we're talking about player care, yet it gets thrown so many other directions. Where do you think we're lacking in communication or our ability to just say centralized on the core of the matter versus people trying to use their, or take their emotions and make it about all these other things around the periphery. Well, they're not even the periphery, right? They're they're completely detached from the core of the argument, which is equality in player care, health, and safety. Yeah, and remember, there's an organization that is set up for that, and it's called the NCAA. Um, I, I think that part of it is, you know, one of the things you learn in compliance when you work in college is um, it's not okay to not know and be like, oh, yeah, I didn't know, right? Just like as a citizen, not knowing something's against the law still makes it wrong and you still are going to get arrested for it or whatever happens. So it's okay to, um, it's not okay to pick and choose what you decide to know and not know. And I think as a society, we've reached our threshold of, um, bullshit. We've reached our threshold of being okay with certain things. And as a society, now we are speaking out. And as long as you're speaking a truth, even the backlash that comes, I, I, I know is like a performance coach, right? You're, you're not paid like a sport coach. You're not an administrator in most cases. So there can be some fear on speaking out about things because you do only make $50,000. And there's uh, a plethora of people that would be happy to have your job. So what you're told is be happy to be here. What? Like not, hey, thank you for your years of service and education, but be happy to be here. Wow, that's such a mixed message versus I'm happy to have you here. And that's one of the things that came out within this as well. So when we talk about uh, player welfare, safety, um, performance falls into that. Medicine falls into that. And so that's why there's the different models within even performance now of trying to connect these areas of sport and training and medicine because they are all interconnected. So we have to have constant communication if we're on a staff together for these things. So for it not to flow vertically as well as horizontally in a championship doesn't make any sense. So to make assumptions on what players need instead of asking is very different. So, and then let me point out what asking is. So if they're asking administrators, and again, those administrators may or may not know, it's, 
it's something we got to fix and start giving the right people a seat at the table to ask the right questions. If you're asking the medical director or the athletic trainer what's needed in the weight room, that's like asking a strength coach what they need to do rehab, right? It's not, it's not really appropriate. It's like asking a systems engineer what they need to go and do better sales. Engineers would just blink at you and say, please don't make me talk to people, right? Like that, that, that's how that world works. And so I think that we have to do a better job of really appreciating and understanding these roles within medicine and within performance and saying, what do you need to be supported fully, right? They're going to have, they're going to have ice and water and tape, right? That's a basic player safety and welfare thing. It should be the same within performance. I don't know why it's second guessed. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Let me ask you a question to poke the bear of that a little bit here. And and we like to do this because we've got to be able to get into the light and dark of certain arguments, the gray of certain arguments. There's no doubt that 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 seat at the table has to happen. Where I'd push is, do you think strength coaches or performance coaches, do you think they've always conducted themselves in a manner that has uh, made people think of them in the professional light that they should? Or do you think a lot of the imagery and a lot of the behaviors we've associated in prior, right? We're not talking about this. We're talking about how certain coaches have conducted themselves on social media, in the media, or even if they're not in social media or what have you, just the combativeness within the field. Do you think we've kind of been our own worst enemy and in any way? Or do you think, nope, that's not relevant at, at all? Um, okay, great job poking the bear. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll answer. Um, so I think part of it, it falls... Absolutely. Maybe doesn't fall on the individual, right? But it, it falls on the culture. Um, and then if you're talking about culture, you're talking about leadership, right? So who are, what is the leadership within our field and which direction is it taking us? I'm not sure I have a great answer, right? Me neither. So there's a lot of great individual coaches you've never heard of doing amazing jobs at high schools, at youth clubs, at colleges, at professional settings. And the reason you don't hear about them is because they're too busy just putting their head down and loving the work instead of promoting themselves. And I have nothing against promoting yourself because guess what? If you don't, I'm not sure that there is anyone else that's going to do that for you, right? Even if um, you have, even if you're Andrea Hootie and you have multiple championships from UConn, from Kansas to now winning your first Big 12 at Texas, right? Like, if you're not going to know who someone is for the value they've added in performance, and it's not about winning, if we're not about valued on winning, then what are we validated on? Right. Um, and to speak to your point of, yeah, I think the only reason when strength coaches show up in the news, it's probably not been a good thing for the most part. It's been for um, either an anger issue, mismanagement, um, or, Hey, there's been a ton of injuries on a team. So blame, uh, pointing fingers and placing blame, like that's kind of been what's in the news over. Um, and it's hard, right? Because we use, like you were speaking about, there's so much research and literature that a lot of great coaches back how they do training on and, uh, research isn't the most appealing thing in modern culture, right? Like it's not what's out there, but I can tell you about some research that a lot of coaches get involved with and they're passionate about and they can add those things to their resume, but that's probably not what's going to get you hired in a job. You know, um, knowing, knowing the right head coach, having the right relationships with different people is what gets you jobs within our arena, just like most. Right. Um, so, but once you get that opportunity, it's, it's the education and the experience and honestly, the connection with people that keeps your job. Right. 
Yeah, you've answered that wonderfully. And I, and I think the reason, like, if we're going to have the full conversation, there are uncomfortable things like that we have to talk about too. Because you look at, there has been, if we want to be able to get the seat at the table at the highest level, well, you've got to clean up your own house. And I've thought this ever since I got in the field, you notice that, all right, you can only win certain distinctions, whether it's strength coach of the year or be a master strength coach, if you're in certain settings. You know, you mentioned there's great strength coaches doing things at all levels of sport, but there's also somebody right now that's 55, 60, been a coach a long time, coaching out of their garage that loves those athletes. And you hear it on, on, just like you have some people on social media that are loud. Well, I've also seen some other coaches that are really prideful in their humility, right? And, and we know that there's, I follow brain surgeons that have time to share something on social media that's helpful. So when a coach says, well, I'm too busy to share, it's like, but there's so many, so much infighting there. And until we do a better job saying like, hey, can we all quit? I often make the joke and I'm sorry, listeners, I know you're tired of it. I've never seen a dentist say I'm a molar guy and I'm an incisor guy, but strength coaches for decades couldn't even agree on training practices. So we do have to, we do have to look at ourselves too of saying, well, we haven't had a seat at the table because we sometimes haven't had the comportment even in our own world to do that. Maybe this is an important time now for strength coaches to really step up the level of professionalism and unity in the field for the betterment of the athlete. Because we know, like you said, the NCAA isn't going to do it. The NCAA is obviously not going to say, Hey, you know what? A dumbbell tree. That's what you get a dumbbell tree. So then like, let's realize that, Hey, yeah. And it might be a little kumbaya, but let's quit worrying about what sector are you in? What sport do you work in? What, you know, beard do you have? What beard do you not have? And what equipment do you use? Whose flooring do you use? Who gives a shit? Make sure that you have the base resources and then work on the bigger picture issues. Cause nobody's coming to save us. Let's focus on who's going to work for the athletes. We will, but we're not going to get in the door if we don't know how to dress. That's all I'm saying. I do think I, I do have a counterpoint to that, right? Like Please. there's, there's that slogan of make great where you're at. I think Adam Fight actually said it, but make great where you're at. And that's what a lot of good coaches do. And just like there needs to be more opportunity within pro sports for female coaches, there has to be a leadership directive change to create that opportunity. No question. So, so as much as like, yeah, you, you have to clean up your house, get in order. I, I still disagree and say it has to be a multimodal approach where there is some leadership effective change, um, whether it's in individual member institutions or even at the conference level, right? Like you have conference commissioners. Why is there not a, and there's medical directors and task force within conferences why not the same for performance, right? And now you have someone that's not, you know, oversight, but it's empowerment, right? And I think that that's the threat response that strength and conditioning and performance coaches feel a lot is, okay, you've put someone over me that doesn't understand any of what I do. And their only thing is for liability coverage. This is a CYA position. So instead of that route, can we, can we have coaches empowered in positions of opportunity that isn't just an administrative position of a budget control and to make sure we're following liability and compliance. But can the NCAA now say, you know what, this is a bigger picture thing for equality, for student athlete welfare. And um, maybe the best representatives aren't just administrators, but maybe it's actually taking these conferences and taking these coaches to a next level of um, accountability, but also opportunity. Yeah, without question. See, here's the thing though. I don't perceive what you just said as a disagreement at all. We're, I just don't think that we're even thought of like that. I think the reason we're not getting those opportunities 
is our fields misunderstood? Our fields misunderstood, but it's partly misunderstood because we can't say we want to keep our head down. It's not about the money. We're in the trenches. We're too busy and never be willing to self-promote. You said it yourself, right? Nobody's going to toot your horn for you. We're still thought of of ancillary staff. Yes, you're right. There are people that have come out in sport coaching that say, hey, these are the most important folks that we hire, what have you. But if you look at the numbers and you and I just kind of rattled them off, the relative instability, all that, we're not thought of as coordinators. We're not thought of as assistant coaches. Maybe every now and then somebody gets clever with a title, but but we, we've got to be able to do that together because we're not even brought up in that conversation, which is odd. It's very odd we're not brought up in that conversation because like you're saying, if we're not, then who who's here to care about the athletes and the capacity of training, which it should be right up there with everything else because it's like this, right? Megan, I remember a fighter once saying, so you're telling me he was very averse to strength training. And he was like, so you're telling me that if I get stronger, I'm going to win the fight. And I said, no, 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 no. But I am saying that if you're weaker, you're more likely to lose it, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is a critical intervention. You know, what else do you think was misunderstood about all this? Like how, like the, the core of this, how can we keep people on like being solutions focused as opposed to, hey, this happened last week. Now it's out of the news. Something else happened. How can we actually make sure this stays relevant and something gets done instead of it being forgotten about in a moment in time? Um, I think part of it falls on the leadership within the NCAA to continue to improve the environment that is at the tournament right now. Doing something overnight one time and it's still being subpar, um, continue working, keep working. NCAA, listen to the strength coaches. I understand there's a pecking order and you have to go NCAA to administrators, to whomever, to whomever, but it's it's like playing telephone. I've never heard of a great game of telephone, right? So it's go to the source, right? And just remember too, that at the end of the day, your job as a nonprofit institution is to support these governing bodies and institutions to be able to do what they need to do not just to have a logo on their chest to support your organization that is a nonprofit. Yeah, that's critical. And and within that, you know, you mentioned there's this fear of speaking out. And again, we're not going to mention names. We're not going to mention schools. I don't think there's a purpose for that. Uh, if you want to feel free, but you know, there is this thing of, Hey, be grateful. You have the job. It's, it's almost, it's, it's a very unique kind of situation Ooh. where it's a power brokering. Right. So I'll, I'll just jump in here. Jump right. In, like, go. I'm a female coach in, um, in a, in a man's world of strength and conditioning, hundred percent. So you're already, you're already looking at a different level of pay equity. You're already looking at a different level of support. Right. And, and those aren't things that are different in other areas of, of business, but that these are just realities. So, uh, I'm not being emotional when I talk about these, I'm just stating facts. Right. Um, and then the only way for us to create opportunity is either to be very, very good at our job. And maybe we get a shot because a coach takes us somewhere or there's a diversity initiative somewhere. And now they have to hire a female or they're promoting that female hire, right? Like that's how we win within this field. Right. And to me that, that already sets up, um, we have a system problem, right? We have a system problem, how we're going about solutions. Do women need more opportunity? And am I happy to step through one of those opportunity doors it presents because it's a diversity hire. Absolutely. Right. There's people that understand organizationally, you have to do these things. Um, and then to go back to your point of just working within um, strength and conditioning at the college level, I had one other female I worked with 
in my 12 years as a college strength coach, right? So um, it goes back to, you have to see females in roles that are successful. You have to see someone that looks like you winning to understand that you can win, right? So there, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of women that are put in positions of winning and, or put themselves there. There are some within our field and I'm happy to know them and I've fought to do the same for myself. But when I talk about winning, I'm not talking about our sports winning. I'm talking about like, what do you want out of your life and what do you want out of your career? And do you know how to leverage those opportunities to win? So I think that that's part of it, Brett. And and the other side, I want to hear your opinion too, of how how do you view female coaches within our field, right? Because we are told be happy to be here, right? Or we're the only one that looks like us in our position. So we kind of, you know, scathe by and, hey, here's your bonus or here's your cost of living adjustment. So we're like, okay, great. And it's like, at the end of the day, like you see people come and go from this field. And a lot of times with women, they're like, oh, they must have wanted to start a family or they uh, probably couldn't just take that out. Like that's the view that we're looked at, right? Like stop. Yeah, well, I'm going to sound off about it. So you really want to know my opinion on it? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm incredibly biased. Uh, my wife uh, was a strength coach, right? And uh, was in the field. I was one credit hour short from a uh, minor in women's studies. Molly Bonetti was a former intern of mine and a very close friend. And she's a strength and performance coach or director at South Carolina. Allie Kirshner is an incredible contributor to our company. So there's more bias, Right. Um, and every person in my company is a woman, you know, so my wife is our project manager. She left a job to to facilitate what we're doing with art of coaching. And, and we serve a base of, of coaches in the performance community who are all looking to build platforms to do more. The very thing I was told I shouldn't do if I ever wanted a job in team sport again. Um, Allie has, has done innumerable things that have allowed us to create these initiatives. My, uh, another co-patriot was, uh, Jordan Crumholtz. I mean, that's, I, I, I've, I think it's just weird, but like, I'm also, this is something. Let me jump in right here. One thing that I think we get told a lot, uh, as coaches and whether it's a minority being woman or it's a minority being a black coach in our industry, right. It's like, Oh, learn and connect, right. Like connect with other women so that you can whatever. And I'm like, have a luncheon, right. Have a, have a breakfast. And I'm like, that's part of the problem, right? Like you're, you're continuing to put us and identify us by gender or by ethnicity, right? Um, so I think that until the leadership of whatever organization or institution start to represent the population that's working within it, um, we're probably going to have the same struggles, right? And this is more than just a, a sport thing or a performance thing. It's it's a global thing, right? Well, it's, it's definitely a communi- it's, it's a communication thing. This is, I mean, this is something Ali and I were talking about is, What's weird is that people get silenced over just conversations that shouldn't even be looked at contentious. You know, we, as I talked to you, we just wrapped up our communication strategy and leadership summit and we had Nikolai Morris come on and talk about this very fact. Like she's like, you know, I I think the name of her title was something along the lines of, uh, man, I need to look it up now, but she talked all about how women are perceived in sport and leadership or what have you. Now she, everybody gets to choose their own topic. And when I looked at that, I don't ever think like, oh shit, here comes some drama. I'm like, oh my God, this is refreshing, you know, refreshing topic. And I'll admit, I mean, I started a company called Art of Coaching because I got tired of just hearing about sets and reps. 
Of course, they matter in the context of what we do, right? This is a different discussion, but like people need to be having conversations about a lot of different things, but because we don't know how to communicate about it, people are seeing things as threatening that aren't really threatening. You know, having conversations about, we had a gentleman on the show that didn't get a job because of cerebral palsy and being in a wheelchair. That's not a threatening thing. We've had folks talk about gender and race stuff on the show. That's not a threatening thing. These are the messy realities of leadership. And when you can't have conversations about messy realities of leadership, you're no longer a leader, right? You're just a myrmidon. And that's weird that this stuff is threatening. It's, It's only threatening when people lose their shit. And I will say there's a lot of people that don't know how to have conversations so they lose their composure. And then that's a lose-lose for everybody. And then shit gets swept under the rug because now nobody wants to talk about anything because they're freaked out. And part of it is like, we start talking about beliefs, right? As soon as I don't think say things from a logical perspective of I think, or this is, and I start saying, I believe and I feel you're speaking to someone's emotion. And it's going to be really hard to have um, a constructive conversation that leads to solution and active change when that starts being the precedent. And um, I, I think that part of it too is like you're saying, having hard conversations. I've had coaches call me because of what's happened this week and saying, let's have hard conversations. And that's where growth happens, right? And it's it's a lot of times not done on the big picture level because it is messy, right? So you have those people that are the individual leaders where they are. They're making calls to other people within our community and saying, let's have the messy conversations so that there's more people in the same understanding, which is amazing. And it doesn't surprise me about performance coaches. Like they're willing, a lot of coaches have such great intent. And sure, the, there are ones that pop out in the limelight for misappropriate action, right? But at the end of the day, you only know uh, a sliver of what our actual coaching trees look like. Yeah. And and I think, you know, do you think that there's a way to kind of train for some of these conversations or these moments? Because I think it's, it's glaringly clear that when these things happen, people want to go to social media and granted, let's imagine we're out of COVID, right? I don't want to have the like, well, it's COVID. It's the only way we can do this is uh, when we can get back around each other. Do you think there's any coincidence that there's no formal outputs or facilitated outputs or not many, at least, uh, that, that teach people how to refine for like some of these hard conversations and big moments. Like people don't know how to be confronted and they think being assertive means being aggressive, right? Like do, where, where do you stand on that kind of stuff? How are we I think first, to- first of all, to have a really good conversation, you have to know the full context of history, right? And in strength and conditioning, there, there's not really a good history book. And there's, I think there's people working on this of how did collegiate strength and conditioning develop, right? And what does that look like and where are we at now? And because fitness, and I use fitness and strength and conditioning in different terms for a reason. How how does general fitness, and I have nothing against the private setting. I love the private setting and I understand it more than ever, but how does it differ from working with an athlete, right? Like, and how does that, what is that story that's told, right? Why, why isn't this, um, workout the same as having a training plan, right? Why isn't this workout of general volume the same as using technology and application, right? So I think that that's part of it. Um, the, the other side of it is, so once we understand the history of where this has come from, now we can start to say, where do we need it to go? And I think that's a great place as a launch point. Instead of saying, like, what are all the issues right now? 
It's where are we looking for this thing to go and reverse engineering it, right? And what are the actionable steps we need to take from the change perspective to get it there? And the easy question there is to ask you where you think it should go, but I think you've already talked about that, you know, and I still want to hear a summary of it, but you're spot on. I want to reinforce your point for the audience. There is a difference between performance and fitness, right? And I think sometimes the private sector, if we're talking to the people internal to, to the field now, uh, we're not talking about private sector strength and conditioning and team strength and conditioning, just like there's people that work in the private sector in law and other things and people that work for, you know, more federal organizations. We're talking about the difference between, you know, personal trainers and people that work specifically in athletic performance. I'll never forget a time when I went and spoke for an organization and they said, you're not what we expected. And I said, excuse me. And they go, well, you're, you're a fitness guy, right? I'm like, well, I'm a strength and conditioning coach and sports performance, you know? And they said, well, I guess we were, and I was just in a button down and some relatively, you know, just nice jeans to try to be a pro. And they said, well, we were expected more of like uh, Jillian Michaels kind of loud burpees, you know, things like that. And it wasn't a gender or sex thing or what, it was just like, wait a minute, that's what you think my field, like, so you thought that you're bringing in somebody to like hype you up and give, no, like we're talking about behavior change here. And it was like, well, what do you know about that? Well, guess what? We deal with athletes that deal with a lot of complex things and we tell them to do shit that they may not always want to do. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's a very interesting piece there. And so I want to make sure people understand that distinction. I think part of why people don't really understand what we do is there's so much protection around what we do, right? Like within the NCA, you're protecting the data and you're protecting minors in some cases. And then within pro sports, you know, we're look, we're in the, we're in the competitive advantage game. And in the competitive advantage game, there's quote unquote trade secrets, if you will. And I'm not talking what your sets and reps are versus mine, but I'm talking health status, player development status, all these different things that come down to on game day, are we in a position over you due to competitive advantage? And if you don't believe that physical development has something to do with that, come play me, right? Like that, that's, that's where that is. So I think that a lot of times people don't understand what we do because we can't share or we can't say um, because there is a data protection or player protection within that. Really happy to use competitor advantage because we are talking about a differentiation strategy, right? Like understanding your competitive environment positioning yourself appropriately with the resources that you have. And that's how this conversation started. It's about the resources. It's hard to, we need a competitive advantage, all athletes, regardless of gender, sex, anything like that, no matter how anybody wants to identify the competitive advantage in sport is about, you know, you have to position yourself appropriately with resources. And it's not, listen, Mercedes doesn't have the same strategy as Toyota. Dollar Tree is not going to have the same strategy as Whole Foods, right? But like when you're talking about athletes who need strength to perform at the highest level and be safe during this time, they're going to have to draw upon similar resources that the research is vetted. It shouldn't be an argument whether men and women get access to those resources, what more? And a, lo a lot of times too, right? Like the way we talk about competitive advantage is literally player availability. So sometimes the, the best advantage you have is being able to put the best squad on the court. And you've helped do that through your job as a performance coach by keeping player availability. So whether that's a player availability in games or player availability within training and games, right? Like, so imagine if your top 10 players are unavailable, well, training is going to look a lot different um, than a game day then. So it, as you go through that, what's the player availability and how are we helping with that overall health and performance?
Yeah, no, without a doubt. So here's here's a here's a hot seat kind of question for you, and I want to be mindful of your time. But uh, uh, still, going back to like there, there's got to be people that feel comfortable speaking. It shouldn't even be looking at speaking out. It should just be sharing common sense. But I know one of the reasons you're on here is because you know not only are you informed about the situation, but there's not you know you're you're in a completely different situation. There, these repercussions are are very different, right? Me, I know I've gotten asked a million times. Well, aren't you worried what you share on your podcast is going to hurt certain partnership or employment opportunities? And I always just think like, no, because anybody that I ever want to partner or work with in the future should share these, these, these thoughts or these values. But for these coaches that really want to help make a change so that this doesn't just disappear, or get swept under the rug, how can, how can they do that? How can we get involved so it doesn't just become a social media vacuum? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing to remember, so something I always ask myself, if I'm asked to do a podcast or even in a conversation with an athlete or a coach, am I speaking a truth, right? And if I'm speaking something at the end of the day, and this goes back to the belief, if I'm speaking something that I can go to sleep at night saying I spoke a truth and so I can live by that, then the repercussions that come, if those are negative, I'm okay with that, right? And I think it it takes knowing who you are and being able to handle your own emotional insecurities or whatever you have going on to be in a place to speak those truths and repercussions that come, come on, like, okay, it's going to make me grow and make me better because of it. Um, and then for the coaches that are in those positions and maybe don't feel empowered to speak up, like it, it is easier for a coach that has been in the game for 25 years and made a lot of money to speak out because they're not risking their financial stability. They're not risking necessarily like a position, right? So I understand it. So if you don't feel you can speak up, go to someone you know that can and share your story. Um, and this isn't turning into sharing bad stories and bad situations, but it goes to, we need to understand context fully of what the problem is in order to get to the solution. And it's not trying to create a podcast of what are the problems within performance, right? Like those are like, what are the problems within business leadership? What's the problems within culture, right? Like the there's, we can study those things for the next 50 years, but what are the action steps we're willing to take to help with some of these issues? And, and that's what I love about um, good people, regardless of organization, institution, or profession, there's still good people that believe in truth and want to move those initiatives forward. Yeah, that's, that's what I don't want to come of this. Uh, nothing annoys me more than when you hear roundtables or podcasts or any, any kind of output where it just becomes all the things that are wrong. Here's the problem. 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 And then at the end, everybody's just fired up, and it's like, okay, well, everybody got your energy out now. Cool. We are we are we going? Everybody got your energy out. Is, is there anybody else that would like to point out a problem? Because that doesn't take much intelligence. Keeping the point, the point does. Finding actionable solutions, and then like you said, Megan, understanding that it's systemic, right? So you can't look at what happened and say, oh, it's because of this. It's like, well that and a bunch of underlying factors, you know, in, in association with that. And so, yeah, I mean, um, is so being able to talk to folks, finding somebody that you trust. I mean, I know that this is a lot of how this happened, you know, like reached out and said, who would like to discuss this? I know that anybody that, you know, we want to help facilitate these discussions that matter, you know, are you comfortable, uh, if people want to reach out to you providing contact information or any kind of, uh, uh, situation where they can, they can connect with you on this? You know, absolutely. Like something that 
I can't call myself a connector and then not be willing to be connected to, right? Like right. Um, one thing that I am always been passionate about is helping people that deserve to get in better positions to get there, right? Just like um, we can talk about different people at higher levels of opportunity. Like you have this huge platform that you're deciding to use to have a conversation, right? So if there's more coaches that have these platforms that decide to use them to host productive conversations and empower um, coaches within women's sports, men's sports, female coaches, black coaches, now we're having a productive conversation of changing a culture. And that can happen at this level. And it also needs to happen at that leadership level. So yes, absolutely. People can reach out to me. Um, I don't care if you share that information or I can. Great. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. So please guys, make sure you do that. And then Allie Kirshner always does our podcast reflections. We'll make sure that there's information there as well. Listen, I am by nature an imperfect communicator. That's kind of the fun of trying to study and improve in communication and coaching. And that means that by nature, I am not always going to be a great or even perfect, anywhere near conversationalist. Is there anything else I haven't asked you or haven't addressed that you'd really like to uh, be able to talk about or speak out. I want to make sure to give you the last word here. That's really important with this discussion. So if you're asking how to support women's sports in general right now, start watching women's sports. You know, if this if this is a take-home message, if you're a girl dad or you're a performance coach or you're a business owner, buy season tickets to a women's sport, right? Watch women's sports. Elevate that conversation by being an active member within that society. Well said. Like I said, I want to make sure to give you the last word on that because that is critical. And it is, it's just about being about what you say you're about. I like to use the term, the girl dad. We see the posts on social media. That's awesome. Proud of it. But like, go, we've got to support it. And, and like, it's just, it's an, it's such an odd distinction. I remember going to watch when I, when I worked with women's swimming and men's and women swimming and diving and tennis and what have you, I loved going out and watching, watching them play. I love watching, like, it's just, I, I think that it's, uh, you know, people- and that's the beauty of college sports, right? If they're, if they're not, and whether you agree, whether it should change or not, since they're not paid, they're doing it because they either want their scholarship to be able to afford their education and that opportunity, or they're also doing it because their opportunity is their sport. And so that kind of love of the game mentality, that's why people fall in love with um, rivalries, right? That's why they fall in love with March Madness, let alone filling out a bracket, right? Like people fall in love with the stories of sport because there is struggle, there's adversity, there's growth, there's heartbreak, there's everything you learn in life in sport. So I think it's a it's a beautiful thing to be a part of, and I'm I'm happy to still be a part of it. Yeah, they you know they say that story is one of the culturally dominant forces in this world. So is sport. There are a lot of forms of expression, just like you said, Megan. I can't thank you enough for being willing to come on. You came on. To- Nobody knows this. You came on completely last minute. And the reason is because we we already had an episode scheduled for this Monday and I wanted to do a bonus episode. And I said, no, we've got to get this out in a week. And so for you to come on with less than a day's notice, go out, buy a microphone, be ready to talk about whatever, whenever, when you and I have not connected formally in over a year and to go, you know, in a place where it's not comfortable to go. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, respect you. And I know that you're helping a lot of people by doing this. Yeah, I look forward to continuing the conversation and you continuing to use your platform to support women's voices within sport. Absolutely. Guys, until next time, Brett Bartholomew, Megan Young, The Art of Coaching Podcast, share this. Share this with people that need to be included in this conversation. Tell a friend to tell a friend. This is not just for sports performance professionals. 
This needs to go to people in a wide variety of domains because they all have their own version of this story. And that's how we're going to get things done. Until next time, guys, I appreciate you listening.